the Bible readings taken from John chapter 9, and you can find that on page 1525. John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a, ma a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples also too?
Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens only to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man replied. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, um, as Dave, David said before, my name is Paul Miranda, and I was a ministry apprentice uh, here at Trinity Church for the last two years. But this year, I'm a student minister, and that means I'm working here while studying full-time at the Bible College of South Australia. And today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 9. Thanks for bringing us that reading, Robert. Um, So this account of Jesus healing the blind man is jam-packed full of people, emotion, mystery, and intrigue. We have, of course, Jesus and his disciples. We have the blind man, the blind man's parents, the blind man's neighbors, and the Pharisees. Everyone's getting involved. It has a large spectrum of human emotion, like joy and anger, faith and fear, pride and humility, curiosity and confusion, seriousness and sarcasm, truth and falsehood, worship and blasphemy. If that weren't enough of a roller coaster for us today, this story contains some things which will be hard to hear like forgiveness and judgment, life and death. And it contains some tricky metaphors like light and darkness and sight and blindness. But don't worry, we'll work through it together. So to begin, let us pray. Father, we praise you that we can come and hear from your word today. We thank you that it is written down for us. Please teach us from your word. Teach us about your Son and about ourselves. Grant us understanding by your Holy Spirit. And please help me as I explain this passage this morning. For your glory. Amen. Well, you should have received a leaflet on your way into church. And you can follow along with the sermon today. And we'll start at point one there in your handout. Verses one to seven. Jesus is the light of the world who grants physical life to prove his identity. 
The account begins just after the festival of tabernacles has taken place. Jesus and his disciples are wandering in or around Jerusalem. And in verse 1, we learn that they come across a man born blind. And in verse 8, we learn that the man is a beggar. Given the man's misfortune, the disciples immediately ask in verse 2, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the Jews thought that if someone had this sort of misfortune, if they were poor or disabled, it must be a direct consequence of God's judgment on a specific sin that had been committed. The disciples see this man as a sinner. But Jesus truly sees this man. Did you notice there in verse 1? It says, Jesus saw him. It's not good just standing around speculating about what sins this man has committed. So Jesus corrects and reorientates his disciples' perspective. Read with me verses 3 to 4. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. To Jesus, what's important is doing the works of God. To Jesus, this man is an opportunity to to glorify God by showing him love and compassion. And Jesus will do this by healing him, not only physically, but also spiritually, as we'll see. And Jesus has come to do the Father's work. That's why the Father sent him. And now, which is daytime, is the time to do that work. A period of nighttime is coming, which refers to the time when Jesus will be betrayed and crucified and therefore no longer able to continue his earthly ministry. So this brings us to verse 5, where Jesus makes a massive claim about himself. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the light of the world. This is one of the seven I am statements found in John's gospel. And this is the first of those seven. But it's the second time Jesus is saying it. He said it actually back in chapter 8, verse 12, which we heard about last week. But this time he's repeating it because he's going to prove it with a sign. So what does it mean, firstly, that Jesus is the light of the world? Let's look at his claim. Well, light in John's gospel is associated with goodness and righteousness. But most significantly, life is associate, um, light is associated with life and understanding. And we read about this in the first chapter of John, which is printed in your handouts. John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. You can read uh, in your handouts with me. It says, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not understood understood it. So, just like the sun, which shines light so that we can see and understand the things around us, and just like the sun, which is essential for human life and plant life, well, Jesus too is like the sun, the light of the world. He is the source of light which shines, granting physical and spiritual understanding and life. That's so important. Let me repeat it. When Jesus claims that he is the light of the world, he is claiming he is the only source of physical and spiritual life and understanding. But how does he prove this claim? Well, we saw it there. Imagine the scene in your head. 
The blind man is down in the mud. Jesus kneels down in front of him and spits on the dirt. He picks up the spit and the dirt and he rubs it together and he makes a clump of mud. And then he takes that mud and he smears it across the eyelids of the blind man. And Jesus tells the blind man in verse 7, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The man is obedient to Jesus. He washes and is instantly and supernaturally healed. How amazing is that? A man born blind, instantly healed. It's so incredible because Jesus healed so many people of many, many different things. But this is the only one time recorded in the Bible, perhaps recorded in history, that a man born blind is healed. And in verse 32, the blind man will actually say this about himself. No one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a man born blind. It's absolutely incredible. And we know from our memory verse in John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 to 31, printed in your handout there, at the top of your handout, that Jesus has done this miracle, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus is the light of the world, the one who grants physical life to prove his identity as the Messiah, the chosen one of God, and the Son of God. So what does this mean for our lives? Well, if you're a Christian, you should affirm along with the Bible that all life is valuable, precious, and and important regardless of someone's physical circumstances. All people have the status of being made in the image of God. And this means that the identity of those with disabilities is not their disability. Rather, their co-humanity and their co- as co-image bearers of, of, of God. They're just as meaningful and have just as much purpose in the world as you or I do. We're all God's creations. So we should never look at a disabled person and think like the disciples did. What sin did they commit? How did they end up like this? Rather, we should see them and love them as our Lord did. So I brought this book along with me this morning that I read It's called, There is a Light at the End of the Tunnel, and it's by Ailey Jane Kirkham. Many of you will know Ailey Kirkham. She was a longtime member of our church. And this is a beautiful book, and it tells her story. When Ailey was in her mid-20s, she was in a tragic car accident that caused her to have brain damage. And she was consigned mostly to a wheelchair. She couldn't move much at all, and she couldn't speak. But by God's grace, she learned to write and could communicate, and she wrote this book with the help of her parents. She was a beautiful lady who had great hope and faith in God. And so I do encourage all of you to grab a copy of this. I'm sure there's some floating around and read it. It's really amazing. She did amazing things. She loved music. She wrote poetry, which is contained in this book. She completed her degree in music. And I want to read to you the very last line of this book. I've printed for you in your handout the last page of her book, which you can read, but I'm just going to read the last little section here. 
Early said, I know his peace, his loving arms around me. I will be content. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but one has to find the way there. I have found that light, and with God's help, it will lead me on into the future. How beautiful is that? Ellie finished her book with that line for a reason. You see, Ellie was given a supernatural motivation and hope from God. She persevered and trusted God despite her circumstances. Last year, as many of you know, Ellie went to heaven. She made it to the end of the tunnel. She found the light. In fact, she met the light, Jesus Christ. And Les, her father, also joined her in heaven soon after. And Pam, Ellie's mum, joins us this morning. She normally attends the 10.30 a.m. gathering. And Pam, I just want to thank you for your loving example to us all. The love you had for your daughter. It's absolutely amazing, your sacrificial love. And I was really moved when I read this book. There's few who could do what you did. And of course, it's by God's grace. So we give him the glory. Uh, But yes, your family brought God much glory. And your story and your family story is a wonderful reminder to us of God's compassion in this broken world. So again, I encourage everyone to read that book. And when we read John chapter 9, we're reminded of God's compassion. That's what uh, made me think of raising this book to you uh, this morning. So this passage is a comfort for those of us here today. For those of us who have a physical disability or a handicap, and brothers and sisters, if that's you and you're feeling discouraged, remember Jesus' compassion, which is so beautifully laid out here. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. And his compassionate restoration of the man born blind is his reminder to you that he has restoration in sight for you too. If not in this life, he promises promises it to you in the new creation if you believe and trust him. And this was Ailey's hope. And it can be your hope too. Although Ailey didn't receive physical healing in this life, she did receive spiritual life, a living relationship with God, eternal life. And so this brings us to our second point there in your handout. Jesus didn't just provide the blind man with physical life, As the light of the world, Jesus also is the source of spiritual life and understanding. Point two there in your handout, verses 8 through to 34. Jesus, the light of the world, grants spiritual life and understanding to see his true identity. Controversy and questions surrounding Jesus' identity is a repeating theme in John's gospel. After almost every sign Jesus performs, questions and debate follow. Who is this man? Is he really God? How do we know we can trust him? This passage is no different. In verses 8 to 12, we meet the man's neighbors. In fact, read with me verses 8 to 12, 8 to 9, sorry. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. The neighbors are confused over what's taken place. 
That's because Jesus' miracle is so unheard of. It's so life-transforming. They can't even trust their own eyes anymore. But the blind man insists in verse 9, I am the man. Curiously, they ask him how he was healed, and he recounts the story. But how sad is this? The neighbors should be praising God and throwing a party for their friend at this point. But verse 13 says, instead, they basically start a criminal investigation into the matter. They bring the blind man before the Pharisees. So the Pharisees start their investigation. But as readers of the Gospel of John, we should know by now, we should be concerned. Because opposition to Jesus has been building. In John chapter 6, we saw the crowds tried to force Jesus to become king. In chapter 7, the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus and tried to arrest him. And twice, in chapter 8, they tried to stone Jesus to death. So what do we think is going to happen here? Well, we read in verse 22. The Jewish leaders had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They'd be kicked out. So the Pharisees have already decided how they feel about Jesus before they even start their investigation. They have a strong bias against him. And that's exactly how they start off. Read with me verses 14 to 16. Now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. You see, the Pharisees concluded that Jesus was a sinner because he had broken the Sabbath. According to the Mishnah, which contains the, uh, the written and oral traditions of the Pharisees, to need or to anoint was to break the Sabbath law. And we know that Jesus didn't really break the Sabbath. Rather, he fulfilled it by bringing restoration and rest. And that's what the Sabbath day was originally for. But when Jesus kneaded that mud together and anointed the man's eyes, the Pharisees said, that's enough. This is the tragedy of this story. God has just healed a man. And yet the Pharisees are confused because some mud ended up on someone's face on the wrong day of the week. They sh it's absolutely absurd. You know, these Pharisees were supposed to know God better than anyone. They should see this miracle and rejoice and praise God. And instead, verse 18 says, they don't even believe that the man was born blind. They just deny the plain facts. So now they call the parents in for questioning. Surely the parents will make it clear. Surely the parents have prayed for their son's healing. Surely the parents thought, if our son is ever healed, we will tell everyone about it. Surely they'll make it clear what Jesus has done. Let's read verses 19 to 22. The Pharisees say, Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. 
No. The parents just dodged the question completely. They were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. It's not going so well. So let's return now to the Jewish leaders. Despite the evidence from the parents, they're ignoring the truth. They become more and more blind, which results in willful ignorance. And you can see this by their concluding comments. The concluding comments to their investigation is verse 24. They say, we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They blaspheme God. They blaspheme Jesus by calling him a sinner. And in verse 34, in direct contradiction to what Jesus has already said about the blind man, they slandered the blind man. He was steeped in sin at birth, they said, and they kicked him out of the synagogue. It's crazy. In contrast, though, to the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees, the blind man has gained not just physical life, but spiritual life and along with it, spiritual sight. Notice his answers become clearer and clearer throughout this passage. In verse 11, it says, he didn't know who had healed him. He simply said, the man they call Jesus, he made some mud and put it on my eyes. But in verse 17, he's willing to admit that Jesus is a prophet. In verse 25, he's not sure whether Jesus is a sinner or not. But in verse 31, he concludes, Jesus is not a sinner, saying, God does not listen to sinners. Now, read with me the finale. Verse 38, he comes before Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. How amazing is that to see that development? The difference between the Jewish leaders and the blind man could not be any clearer here. It's absolutely incredible. The Jewish leaders ignore the evidence, they ignore the truth, and their pride and self-righteousness blinds them. As a result, they descend into darkness and willful ignorance, which culminates in blasphemy. But the blind man who started in obscurity, he gains spiritual sight and grows in understanding, which culminates in obedient worship. Jesus grants spiritual life and understanding to see his true identity. So I wonder... Who would you rather be in this story? The Jewish leaders or the blind man? You see, just like the blind man, everyone is born in spiritual darkness. Without proper understanding of who God is. And only Jesus, the light of the world, can grant us spiritual life and understanding. He needs to come to us and shine his light within us to reveal the darkness, to reveal the sin, the pride and the self-righteousness. Only Jesus can open our blind eyes to behold his true identity. And if we see Jesus' true identity and believe in him, we will receive eternal life and our lives will be transformed. In this passage, we see the evidence of what that transformation looks like. If we are transformed, we will be like this blind man. We'll call God our Lord. We'll live our lives in obedience to him. We'll grow in our knowledge of him, and we won't be afraid of persecution and the slander from men. We'll worship him. So I ask, has your life been changed, brothers and sisters? Or do you make excuses like the Pharisees? Are you unwilling to confess 
the truth, unwilling to confess your sin. You see, the Pharisees thought they had life in God, but they were actually deceived and spiritually dead. So has your life been changed? Or not? If not, it's never too late. You can pray to Jesus and ask him for this gift of spiritual and eternal life. And if you're not a Christian here today, but you're joining us, it's awesome to have you along. It's so cool that you've come to investigate Jesus for yourself. But can I urge you to reflect on your mindset? Have you come to church today with your mind already made up? Or have you come with an open and willing mind to see where the evidence points? If you are willing, can I encourage you to keep asking your questions and to be honest with yourself and with God about your brokenness. Ask Him for help and ask for help from those around you. I mean, as a church, we want to be here to help you. So please let us know any way in which we can do that. Well, this brings us to our last point. There in your handout, verses 35 to 41. Jesus has mercy on the humble and judges the proud who reject his identity. Let's read verses 39 and 41 together. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. That is the blind man. And when they found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The blind man was kicked out of the synagogue. He received the same punishment that his parents feared. But Jesus seeks him out in a similar state with how this story began. Alone and rejected. But the blind man sees Jesus for the first time since the miracle took place. He worships him. Chef's kiss. This is something the young kids do these days. I wanted to show you. It's called chef's kiss. It means it's beautiful. It's tasty. It's amazing. And that's, that, that's what this is. It's, it's the perfect moment in this story. Jesus tells the blind man why he has come into this world. Verse 39. For judgment... I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Jesus' purpose for coming into this world was to allow those who are genuinely blind and ignorant of who he is to gain understanding and to believe in him. He's come to reveal who he is so that the humble, uh, to the humble and uninformed. But, he says, for those who think they already see and understand his identity correctly... And to those who aren't open to changing their beliefs, the proud, well, those people will become more and more blind and unable to know him. In other words, Jesus is describing what we've just seen happen to the blind man and the Pharisees. A great reversal has taken place. The blind man, 
He gained physical and spiritual sight. And the Pharisees, who started with physical sight, ended up spiritually blind. Now the Pharisees are listening in. They're eavesdropping in on this conversation. And they ask Jesus, surely you don't mean we're blind too, right? Jesus finishes in verse 41 by condemning the Pharisees. Jesus says, If the Pharisees were genuinely unaware of the evidence that pointed to Jesus' true identity, then they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But because they have heard the evidence of his miracle, rejected the testimonies, and claimed that they see things correctly, then they remain guilty of sin, injustice, and rejection of the Son of God. Essentially, Pharisees claim they know the truth, but they reject it. And so, as a result, they come under God's judgment, remaining spiritually dead and blind. So, to finish, we need to acknowledge the difficulty of this passage. You see, there's both God's sovereignty and salvation at play here, and also human free will. Ultimately, Jesus came to grant spiritual sight to the blind man, didn't he? The blind man didn't ask for it. God sovereignly chose this blind man to receive it. He received life from God. But at the same time, the blind man was humble and open. He was obedient to follow Jesus' instructions to go to the pool and wash. But on the flip side, the Pharisees also received the same information about Jesus. But they chose to reject it. God could open their eyes, but he didn't. And that is the big warning to us all. We need to be very careful in the way we approach Jesus. You need to be careful in the way you approach Jesus' identity because you don't want to come under God's judgment and remain blind and in spiritual darkness. It is a terrifying thing to be rejected by God. But God is generous. Jesus allowed the Pharisees the opportunity to know him through this investigation. They came to know of the miracle before Jesus pronounced this judgment on them. God provided them with an opportunity and with ample evidence. And he does the same for us. There is so much evidence that Jesus is real, that he truly is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. But when I read this story, I was so saddened. I don't know about you, but I feel sad for the Pharisees. You know, this story should be such an uplifting story for everyone. But the Pharisees, they reject Jesus and they miss out on eternal life. Don't let your life have a sad ending like this story. If you don't yet know Jesus, cry out to him and ask him to grant you understanding. Ask him to help you so that you won't ignore this truth and be judged. But instead, believe in him and have eternal life. For those of us here today who already have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, remember that he's chosen to grant us sight when we were once blind. Thank God that he has granted us eternal life so we can say along with the blind man, 
I once was blind, but now I see. This truly is amazing grace, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that Jesus, your son, truly is the light of the world and he's proven it. Jesus is the one who grants spiritual understanding so that we can believe in him and have eternal life. We praise you and thank you for your amazing grace. Please help us to honor you with our lives and to have compassion on those those in our church with disabilities, those in our society. Help us to love them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.